Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. For us, there is just another way of articulating the three lines of accountability and to get people to step back. Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher. I'm the editor of the GRC Professional Magazine. And today we have with us our Managing Director, Naomi Burley. Hi, Naomi. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Kwame? And not too bad. So today we're going to be talking a little bit about accountability. Um, some of you would have been lucky enough to attend the event, uh, which I think our main speaker was Professor um, Elizabeth Sheedy from Macquarie Business School. Um, yes. And it was really to just sort of reveal some results of some research they'd done um, using some of our members. Um, just, you know, what are, the, what are the impacts of accountability or what are the perceptions of the impact of accountability? Um, and then alongside that, she also released a paper um, called Regulating Accountability and Early Look at Banking Executive Accountability Regime. Um, so, and in that, there are a few interesting findings. Obviously, they showed a direct correlation between culture and accountability. Um, I think um, I might actually have this percentage wrong in my notes right here, but I think it was um, uh, um, more than half of respondents saw an improvement in their culture in their organization um, in the impl implementation of the accountability regime. Um, you know, there was definitely a difference between those who made a conscientious attempt to implement the accountability regime um, as opposed to those who made a lackluster approach to implementing the regime. And of course, many yes. people, as Naomi and I were discussing just before the podcast started recording, would have been able to um, it helps sort of establish those clear um, rules and, and, and accountability lines within an organization, which can only be beneficial. And for those a couple of years ago who have been lucky to hear Elizabeth Kalevsky and Carolyn Hansen also discuss their experiences with um, the Bear regime, how it helped them to establish mm. if there were any gaps in those lines of accountability they would not have noticed before then. So yes. I'm going to stop talking now and <laughs> go on to Naomi. Uh, so I guess... Tell me, maybe we should start about, just for those who might not have been paying too much attention, what are we really talking about with this accountability question? Well, look, let's go back. Let's take a little bit of a step back. So quite a few of our members will be uh, familiar with uh, Dr. Sheedy's, Professor Sheedy, sorry's work um, around sort of risk culture and trying to measure around there. And she's obviously had a very long-running interest with the way APRA regulates um, its market and whether that actually alters culture and behaviour. So when she approached um, GRCI sort of to have a bit of a casual chat uh, about how our members were perceiving the implementation of their working and whether there was something to explore in that, some of the, some of the comments that I've been able to make to her anecdotally in speaking with our members, and again, you know, we'd run several sessions on how people were going with... Um, with implementing uh, there in their organisation. I had said to her that for a lot of our members, it was a, a very, they were finding it a very useful exercise to be able to articulate those accountabilities with people in their organisation who previously either thought compliance did it for them or um, didn't really 
didn't really have a conscious awareness. And they had a sort of vague feeling that, yes, they should be doing stuff and that, that it was automatically carried out when they carried out their normal duties. But a consciousness about that accountability and what that looks like in terms of being, you know, not just accountable to your customer and your organisation, but then accountable to the regulator to explain your actions or explain why you made certain decisions. So it was a really useful exercise for quite a few of our members, they were saying to me. A lot of work. And they were doing a lot of the groundwork in walking people through that. So we were interested in participating with, with this kind of study to see how that played out more broadly and whether um, there was any feedback because the, the original proposal was to interview our members and other people in the organisation and get their feedback for how they felt being made accountable um, for things. So it, it, was, it was sort of really interesting from that point of view, I think, to get all of those opinions in the same room. And, you know, my, my real takeaway from it was that generally, if you were um, genuinely making an attempt previously to be compliant, as we always, as we sort of generally see in the world of compliance, if you were generally, as an organisation, attempt making those attempts and trying to understand the regulation and trying to understand how you fit it in the world, you might not always be successful and everybody makes mistakes, then you found this process much less painful. Um, and it really did sort of wash out and enable um, some people to express their continued frustration with the lack of embracing and understanding the role of everybody, including the regulator, um, in, in the market. And um, so, yeah, we were very keen to, to participate in this way. We were also very keen because for us, BEAR is just another way of articulating the three lines of accountability and to get people to step back. Like I said, many anecdotally when they first initiated these conversations with people in their organisation about articulating um, that person's accountability, they thought compliance was doing all that for them. And this helped them tease that out and understand, actually, that's, oh, that's what second line means. That's what you actually do in second line. You have these conversations with me and I get really clear on what, what I do, why I do what I do and how that how that has an impact on my accountability. So, um, you know, from our perspective, uh, it was a very useful exercise to tease out that three lines and have it be very pragmatically understood by people in the organisation. So, um, so we were looking to see if that is how it played out uh, more, more broadly. Um, and I think generally the numbers support that. Um, and... And I thought it was interesting the way the team tackled, you know, another couple of dimensions around personal characteristics and the psychology of that, as well as comparing it to the UK regime and whether we had done it as successfully or as effectively um, in obviously the researchers' opinion uh, than they did in the UK. So, you know, there were some other interesting findings that were sort of a bonus for us when we were looking at it. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, I, I hope that answered that question. <laughs> I'm not sure no, where we went with that. No, no, no. Yeah, no, that, that's really good. Um, I think it is, it's interesting. Um, obviously, you know, you mentioned Shidi's previous research and obviously we did have the risk culture perception um, gauge and then she was also looking at um, incentivization and the remuneration question as well. So I think it's, it's, it's almost like an amalgamation of all the different research she's doing and what accountability means when looking at those things. Well, you know, they, they all play into each other and that's, that's, the, that's the interesting thing about 
the way bear evolved, you know, what bear evolved into, and we don't know what fire's going to evolve into, but hopefully, hopefully something roughly similar. It's not over the top. Yeah. You know, APRA is not going to be there to tell you who should be doing whatever. They just want to make sure that you have got that sorted out. So, you know, their perspective on things is is not quite as hands-on as probably some people might have feared, yeah. I think, as well. So that was an interesting takeaway from the um, presentation. Um, but uh, I, all those things play in with, with each other. You know, how how you're healthy or your risk culture is and what outcomes that leads to um, is all tied into how you're incentivised, what you're paid for, and then articulating the accountability that is also part of your responsibility that you are, that you are paid for. You know, all those things, all those elements play in, um, but it was nice to come back full circle because kind of, I guess, from, from our perspective, when you're fundamentally setting up the compliance framework and you are trying to stay in that second line and have everybody else in first line understand what they are accountable for, that they can make decisions, um, is kind of the first step. And measuring the risk culture comes after that. But, you know, sort of she's taken the reverse, the reverse trip through yeah. to get to this piece. So I guess the question then is, um, was there anything um, that, you know, she would have said at the actual reveal of the results, anything that was particularly interesting or something that members might have found challenging? Or was it all just sort of what people expected to find? Um, look, it, a lot of it was what I expected to yeah. have heard. Um, I was probably... Um, I was probably surprised by uh, the general um, acceptance of the accountability regime and the work that needed to be put in by the people who were going to be made accountable. And I guess that they, they didn't become more stressed by it. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's, there's probably a number of ways that can be uh, interpreted. But, you know, that had been one of the fears that people would be so put off by being held accountable that they wouldn't want to take on these roles. Yeah. Um, and I think that the research certainly hints at that that's not how it's going to work, that, that people who were in these roles had a vague idea that, that this was part of their role, but having it articulate helps them focus their mind better yeah. and make better decisions. Um, because they actually understand what they're deciding, like they understand all the yeah, criteria yeah, now, yeah, yeah, yeah. rather than they're not being made more responsible for anything. They were always responsible for it, or somebody was, you know, but now it's it's really clear. And so there's no more of this bouncing around a committee. Um, I thought that it was a really positive thing that it was suggesting that decisions could be made much more effectively yeah. um, because people understood if it was their patch, that they should do it and yeah. that that's the best way to go about it. So, so I guess, you know, I was really heartened by the fact that they weren't, they didn't find it extra stressful, that it didn't put them off taking on the roles um, and that they felt capable and competent. And I think that's a testament, you know, in those organisations, obviously, <laughs> who embraced it and who went through the process properly. Yeah. I think that's a testament to the support they got from, from compliance professionals. I'm going to take credit for them. <laughs> <laughs> Well, not, not me personally. I'm going to take credit on their behalf. I mean, well, I'm really glad you said that because, of course, a lot of what you're saying, and you mentioned the three lines of accountability earlier, and it sort of puts me back in the mind of Annette Duntelar's presentation and her 
import that she put on role clarity. And I mean, it's obviously you have that accountability and the clarity of where it, it just all, again, it all just fits back in together. Um, I it guess does. it does. Someone was always supposed to do it. Yeah. You know, someone was always supposed to be accountable. But when you get all this vagary that, oh, it's the board and it's not, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, the board is not making that decision. Yeah. So that's, that's just ludicrous, you know. And so this is just being sensible. Yeah. Um, and the, the organisations that approached it sensibly and logically and gave themselves time to work through it, it seems to have, it seems to have played out very well for them. Uh, and I'm glad you mentioned the board. Um, one of the things we've talked about at conferences, both at the Congress and at the conference, was the governance aspect, not just from the governance responsibility, but of course the information that the governance receives um, and what kind of information and how it's pinpointed and how can they tell what information is critical. Um, having this accountability regime in place and creating that kind of cl rule clarity, will that help to improve all those processes of making the right decisions in the right way? Do you think? I look very early days, yeah. but that's what the data in this study was pointing towards it being a positive benefit that, yeah. that the person who needed to make the decision now knew that they were the one, that they didn't need to consult anyone else and they didn't need to summon a committee. I think also from you know, if I were a director now on a board, I would actually quite like this structure. Because for me, then I can also look up the organisation, and I don't have to ask twenty people if they do this job. Yeah. It's there; it's very clearly articulated. If I want to ask a question about that, if I am concerned about an area of the business, I know who I'm supposed to ask. Um, I think also as well, hopefully, a longer term play out of this will be that the reporting up around the things that these people are accountable for will no longer appear in the compliance report it will appear in the accountable person's report. It will be part of the nuance and the story that they tell when they're reporting on their area and their accountabilities in the business. Not just obviously their regulatory and APRA accountabilities, all the accountabilities they have in their role yeah. or in their, their part of the business. So that'd be nice because that one, paints a better story and two, there are so many potential things to reporting compliance that it's very easy for everything to be distilled down to numbers which don't, do not have the colour in the three dimension that might be necessary to make key strategic decisions. Yeah. Whereas if someone's accountable in an area of the business and they say, well, look, you know, this is working and this is working. However, I am concerned about this because I will have to tell APRA about blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, then they've got a much better picture of the where they need to make decisions, what other data they might need to gather to make a proper business decision that is also compliant. Um, and that's what accountability is all about because compliance is not, you know, has no control over those business decisions. Um, it, uh, but as facilitators of this process, uh, it helps them explain, you know, they've been great facilitators in this process. Excellent. Well, um, I think we've come down to the end. Normally, this is the point where I'd ask if you had any advice, but I realise that's a poor choice of words. Uh, we do not give any legal <laughs> advice. Um, so do you have any wise words, observations, or informal advice for risk and compliance professionals, um, you know, based on these results and, you know, those who are making sure they have the right regime? Well, look, I, I'd be heartened by these results. I think that it was an overall very positive picture um, because, you know, ASIC has had the opportunity to sit back and, and watch this happen. 
um, and play out, hopefully they'll be able to take some of those lessons and then compliance professionals in those organisations can take these lessons as well and help work everyone through that process. I think if it's not going to be, you know, again, at a very principle space level, given that we should be working on uh, role articulation and accountability in any case in order to have a really sound compliance structure, and given that the data in this report said those who started out on a really good compliance framework footing did really well um, in this process and didn't find it nearly as painful, stop, stop sitting on our hands and waiting for FAR to be released. You know the essence of what's going to go on, if it's if you're then tweaking at the end of the day and having re you know at, at, or there's something that isn't allocated in accountability then that's easier to tweak later on if you've done some of the groundwork and started having some of these conversations um, and if uh, APRA's closing comments that Treasury and APRA and ASIC were all working together in the development of FAR and communicating and sharing experiences is true um, and we have no reason to believe it isn't, <laughs> then, um, then you're not going to get something that looks the complete opposite. Yeah. There would be no reason to reinvent the wheel. So get cracking is, is my suggestion. There, there's no reason to hold off having any kind of conversation about accountability if it's going to get you three lines in order in the first place. So there's always value in having those conversations and getting yourself set up for it to be a very straightforward exercise. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for your time, Naomi, and we'll be having a chat again sometime soon. We will. And look, if any members uh, didn't get to attend, I know that it was hugely subscribed or want to access the report. I'm sure those links are going to be in the show notes, but yep. you can also drop us an email and we will send that out to you. This podcast was a production of the Governance Risk and Compliance Institute, and the music was produced by Rob Newman.